just to encourage you in a couple of things before we get into the Word, because we don't say this a lot. Um, you need to listen to these messages over and over again, and whatever, especially wherever you're hearing truth, whether it's here or not, because it doesn't all get in. I've, I've sometimes listened to my own messages, and you may think that's prideful. No, because it, it reminds me of things that I said I don't even know I said and instills them in us. I listen to messages at night when I wake up. I listen to messages in my car. And, and with the technology we have today, there's no excuse. I mean, the people generations before, not everybody had a Bible, let alone the opportunities that we have. So we, each of these messages is available on CD through our bookstore. We even make them free on, by podcast for those of you who know how to go online and get a podcast. If you don't talk to your grandchildren or somebody that's about 20 or 25 years younger than you are and they can show you how to do that. Um, or even my wife, she's learned how to do that. And, um, and we're going to do some other things to help make this, the messages available to you so that you can study them along with us because it's the truth. The Bible tells us that it, the, the, the washing of the water of the Word is what cleanses us. The wa- Bible says that the, the Word of God is what sanctifies us, sets us apart. The Word of God is a pillar of truth in the world today. And there's a lot of confusion out in the world today and we need to know the truth and to hold on to that truth and keep it ever before us because we're bombarded with, with lies and, 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 and messages that are not, root, they're not rooted in truth and they're not the truth. Second thing, I just, it's in my heart right now to share it. I'm not even sure why I'm sharing this, but I'm just, th- this television ministry that we have is so important. We're going to be restructuring some of it, but the television is so important, not so you can stay home on a rainy day. And obviously I'm preaching to the people that didn't stay home on a rainy day. But it goes into nursing homes. It goes into our... The last time I looked, I haven't seen the statistic lately, but we go into about 15,000 homes every Sunday morning with the, with the truth of the, of the gospel. And radio is great, but this television, and we have a prime spot at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning on the number one channel. And we've got Todd Wallace here from there, or at least for a few moments, for a little while now. Um, from there, that goes out into play. I'll never forget sitting there doing a special Christmas message, looking into that camera one day, realizing this word's now going out into places I have no idea and I'll never go. And so this is why we do this. It's very expensive to do this. It's about ten to $12,000 a month to do this. But it's an investment in the kingdom of God. And I'm sharing that because our mission in this church is to go out there. And your giving helps us to do that with the radio, the television program, but, but, but we are also part of that message to go out. And that's the end of message number one. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege that we have to come and worship you openly, boldly, without any reservation. And we thank you that we can come in a land that this nation still allows us to do this. And we, t- we don't ever want to take this privilege for granted. We thank you so much, Father, that you've given us your word, a breathing, living word, that you speak to us every day through this. This is not just some dead book. This is not like any other book. This is your word speaking to us today. And we thank you that you've given to us your precious Holy Spirit to live within us and to dwell in us, to make this word alive. Your word tells us that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of man all that you have prepared for those who love you. That's us. But your Spirit's been given to us to dig deep down into your heart and to reveal those things to us. And so we're expecting and looking for the Holy Spirit to do just that. 
May we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to grasp what the Spirit is saying to us today. And we thank you for that in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I was in such a hurry today, I walked off without my preaching Bible, so I've got this little one. But it's still the Word of God. So open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 13. We began several sessions ago to do a short series. It's going to be about four lessons on uh, undercover. And there's a video, there's an image that they put up there, which, will, which I love this image because it really gets us across. And what we're really talking about is authority and the purpose of authority, the God-given authority, why authority is so important, but also so that we can begin to understand authority and what God means by authority. So let's read the verse, and then we'll go into what, what this lesson is about. Chapter, Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul, every soul, every soul, be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. There's no authority except from God. I saw one of those little stickers yesterday. I almost took a picture of it on the back of a truck, except I might have run into them. And that is, uh, I forgot the exact word. It was basically resist authority. Resist authority, and then it basically said rebel. Well, we're going to see what that does. Let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That's telling us that, that authority is created by God for our protection. Authority comes from God and the source of authority comes from God. And the consequence of this is in verse 2. The next verse. Well, I'll read it to you. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So it's a cute bumper sticker, but if the driver of that truck is acting on what his bumper sticker says, he's literally bringing judgment upon himself. And that doesn't mean that God's up there with a big stick and, and a firebrand waiting to see somebody rebel and step out from authority, and then He's going to send a bull of lightning down to fry that truck that was in front of me, even though it was slowing me down and in my way. <laughs> I repented. But the title of the series is Undercover. Undercover and Understanding Authority. Because the God-given purpose for authority is for, for our protection. Not to boss us around, not to take our fun away from us, but to protect us. Because God knows the dangers that are out there, and we don't. There are dangers out there. The greatest dangers that are out there are not dangers you can see with your eyes. The greatest dangers out there are dangers you can't see with their eyes. They're spiritual or eternal dangers. You understand there's a spiritual world out there, a spirit realm. And that spirit realm is inhabited by spirit beings, demonic spirit beings that, that serve Satan and angelic spirit beings that serve God. By the way, God's angels outnumber the devil's two to one. All right? 
But this is a world we shared with you last time. The world you and I live in is a fallen world. It's not, in, it's not under God's dominion and control. The Bible says in several places that Satan is the God of this world. He's ruling over the governments and the affairs of this world that are not submitted to Christ and to God's kingdom. And you and I were born into that world. We're born into a world that's confused, a world that's, that's evil, controlled by evil. And we're trying to solve those problems of evil with natural means when there's a spiritual root that's behind them. These terrible shootings, these terrible, you know, the, 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 in contract law, they, one of the things that you learn is that in contracts, like insurance contracts, they'll take a disaster like happened in Branson and call it an act of God. That's an insult to God. God didn't cause that accident. God's not the God of... He's not controlling the weather. See, there's segments of the body of Christ. I don't want to get off of this. We don't have time. There's segments of the body of Christ that believe because God's sovereign, He controls everything. God is sovereign. But the sovereign God, as a sovereign act of His sovereign will, we're going to learn next week, delegated His sovereign authority to man. Man then turned in his infinite wisdom and pride and turned that delegated authority of God over to Satan. So Satan's operating today with the original authority of God over this earth that we gave him. Jesus came to win back what Adam sold out to Satan. To establish a new line of authority. And so when you come to Christ... You change lines of authority, and you are now born again into a different kingdom. Colossians 1.13 says, we, you, Christians, were delivered from the dominion, the domain, the authority of darkness, and transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. You're in one of two kingdoms, there are only two of them, and neither of them are yours. So this world and the world systems are still under Satan's dominion. Therefore, the bad stuff that happens, the rain, is not coming from God out of God's anger. God's anger was poured out on that cross 2,000 years ago. The rain that comes in this world, the, the evil that comes in this world, isn't coming from God. It's coming from the God of this world. But to a Christian... God has provided an umbrella, a protection that we can come up under that will help protect us from the evil. And in order to be under that umbrella, you have to be under God's authority because that protection comes through God's authority and delegated authority. The moment I stepped into this role, which I was never planning on, and the mantle, I could tell you where I was when that mantle fell on me, I could feel it. Immediately, I could see things in this congregation I could never see before. Now, don't worry, I'm not looking into your dirty laundry and things like that. Uh, But I mean, I could see spiritual things going on I never could see before. And I asked the Lord, what is this? He says, well, a shepherd stands taller than the sheep. So the shepherd can see the threats that are out there that the sheep can't see. This is why it's important to be part of a local church 
and not part of a television congregation. Why it's important to have a shepherd that's seeking God. And this heart is open to hear what God's saying because then God can provide direction and protection for us in a very dangerous time that we're living in. So authority is a covering. It's a protection. Everyone in ministry needs to be under some authority. I'm under the authority of Raymond Ministerial Associations. Pastor Sam Smucker is my regional director. And I talk about him. We're going to be going there in a couple of weeks for a, com- a retreat conference and taking some of our staff down there. So I'm under somebody's authority because in ministry, I don't know everything. I don't want to break your bubble. <laughs> but I don't. But I know where to go for help. I'm getting off where I was planning to go with this. Okay. Undercover is a protection. So we need to learn to look at authority under, un, in God's terms because the systems of the world operate under authority that are not, that are not operating under godly principles. And this is what we're going to look at today a little more. So what we began to look at is part of the problem is we don't understand what God means by authority because the authorities that are operating in this world by and large are perverted because there's a selfishness underneath them. So I gave you a definition, which is the definition God gave me. This comes out of material that I taught, that God gave me years ago in another church that I taught this in. He literally just dropped this outline in me in the morning. And then I began began to develop it. So if you put that slide up, the first slide, slide number one. This is the definition that I gave you. Well, I'll read it to you. It's the right or ability to control or direct the action of others given by one who has the right and the power to enforce it for the purpose for a, for a purpose which benefits others and there's four elements in there which we saw on the second slide when they can find that in every in every case of authority you're going to find a source it's where the authority comes from ultimately that source is god god gives that source to a person that's the receiver of it that authority is always given. God gives that authority to men. And that's not just males. It can be females. But God's authority is given to people for a purpose. We'll talk about that more today. So, so it's, you know, well, I'll serve God's authority, but it's not enough. God's authority is given to people to help protect us. And if we don't submit to God's the people, we're not submitted to God. That went over about as big today as it did the last time. All right. Well, no, I understand you're just... Okay. The third thing is there's always a beneficiary. Someone who's, for whose benefit that authority is given, and it's never the person to whom the authority is given. So the authority that's been given to me is not for my benefit. It's not, the, it's not a reward for 20-some for years of serving in ministry. It's not a reward for... Whatever authority God's given to me, it's for your benefit. It's to provide for your benefit. In fact, in fact, whatever gifts, whatever God's given me is not for my benefit. So if you're in a position of authority, you can't, be drawing your, you can't be drawing your identity, you can't be drawing your sense of value and worth from the authority that I've been given. That's what the world does. So they put a title on somebody and, they, and promote them, and now, you know, there's jealousy within the, in, within the office because you're now the assistant to the assistant to the assistant vice president. Whereas before you were the assistant, 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 vice president. And it's like, you know, we, we want to go around and, and wear badges to show our authority and position. 
But that's what the world does because we're drawing our value from, look who I am, I've been given this authority. And that leads into the fourth element, and this is the most important thing to understanding authority, is authority is always given only as a tool to carry out a purpose. God never gives authority first. He gives a responsibility, and then He gives you the authority to help you carry out that responsibility. And this is what we're going to talk about this morning and look about it in a little more detail. Authority is only, only ever given by God as a tool to carry out a purpose. And that immediately does several things. That establishes boundaries to the authority, and those boundaries are the boundaries of the purpose. So when somebody in authority starts dealing with you beyond their purpose for in your life, they don't have authority in that area. I do not have authority as a senior pastor to tell you who to marry and who not to marry. I can give you counsel. I can tell you what the Word says about it. I can refuse to marry you because I don't think that's a good person for you to marry. But I don't have the authority to boss you around and tell you. But I don't have the authority to tell you what to wear. In here, I have authority to ask you not to wear something that's a distraction to someone else or that's not proper, that's in some way going to be too revealing or something like that for the welfare of the church. But it's always within the boundaries of a purpose. So when you're under authority, you need to have some clear understanding of what, are the, what is this authority's purpose in my life so that I can be sure I'm, I'm submitted under that for my benefit and for my protection, but also understand. And years ago, there were a number of years ago, well, it's probably more than a number now, there was a movement of the churches, some churches where they took that to excess, where they were starting to... They were starting to... Uh, uh, they were starting to um, uh, teach, you know, that the pastor had absolute control over your life. Well, that's just not biblical. That's demonic, actually. So, anyway, so what we're talking about is now put up the second slide. That's it. So, we're tonight, today we're going to talk about the last one the purpose. The purpose. Okay. And understanding this principle will help us understand and utilize the authority of God in our lives. To do this, let's go to Matthew chapter. 20. We, we touched on this last week, and we're going to go through this a little more today. This is such a powerful story. And I'm going to read right down from chapter, verse 20 down to 28, and then we're going to walk through it. Then the mother of Zebedee, Zebedee's sons came to him, Jesus, with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. So far, great, respectful, worshipful. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, just so you don't, in your kingdom. So he's talking about the future in eternity. Just so you understand, in, in, in a royal court in those days, there was always a positions of authority. The highest position was the one that sat on the throne. But they would have standing to their right or sitting to their right the prime minister or the, the person responsible, first of all, for carrying out the, the king's edicts. The king gave the orders. It was his will that was always carried out. And then he had somebody at his right hand, sometimes called a prime minister, whatever they were called, they sat at the right hand and that was significant. 
And their responsibility, they were given the king's authority to carry it out. When, when Joseph was promoted by Pharaoh, he was promoted to his right hand so that Pharaoh gave him full authority to carry out what, jo- what the Pharaoh, the edict that the Pharaoh issued. Basically says, whatever he says, do it. And so, and the, at the left hand was the next position of authority. So when the mother's coming, asking to sit at his right hand, left hand, it's not just so they can have a good view of him. You need to understand that because you're going to see why this becomes such an issue. And the, me- the lesson that Jesus is teaching out of this. So that, grant that my son, two sons, can sit one on your right and one on your left in your kingdom. Verse 22, But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. That's because you don't understand authority. Are you... Now he's talking to the boys. Mom comes and asks the question. He talks to the boys. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? And they said to him, We're able. And he said to him, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm about... that that, That I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Now when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Why? They wanted to sit there too. And Jesus called them all to Himself and basically says, here's a good teaching opportunity. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. We talked about this last week. The pattern of, 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 of authority in the world is basically... I'm the one in authority, I boss you around. And exercise great authority over them. Verse 26. Yet it shall not be so among you. In other words, in the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't work that way. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for the many. Now let's go back and break this down. Because this is so key, a key story to understand this principle that we're learning about authority. So, as we said last week, verse 20, the mother of Zebedee's sons. I love that. The Holy Spirit has ways of getting a point across that's so powerful. These are James and John, two of the the inner council, the three inner council, Peter, James, and John, the closest ones that Jesus often took into the most significant parts of His ministry. They were with Him on 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 the Mount of Transfiguration. He left the other nine at the bottom of the mountain to deal with the crowd. He went up there and they saw, they saw Elijah, they saw Moses, they physically heard God's voice speak. These are the ones that when, when Jesus is on His way to heal Lazarus' daughter and finds out now it's too late, she's dead, He leaves the other nine there and picks these three out to go with Him to do something that now requires a level of faith that's beyond what He was going to have to exercise before. So they're part of an inner council that He uses in a special, special way. And the Bible, the Holy Spirit doesn't refer to them as James and John's mother. It says, the, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Mama's boys. Mama is looking for an opportunity 
to see her boys promoted among this calling that God's called them to. And she's looking for them to have a position of authority based on a wrong concept of authority. Her understanding of authority, which is what we're raised with, is that authority is a badge of honor. And she wants to see her sons honored. She's not concerned with what Jesus is talking about. She wants to see her sons in this place of honor, ultimate honor in the kingdom of God forever. That's not a bad ambition for a mom. I understand that. But it comes from a wrong concept of authority. And so Jesus answers this immediately by addressing what we're learning here. He's basically saying, you do not understand authority. He says, what does he say? You don't know what you're asking. Because you're asking for your sons to be placed in an ultimate position of authority and you don't understand what goes along with that authority. Because that authority is never given for the sake of authority. And so how does he answer this? Verse 22, Jesus answered and said, you don't know what you're asking. In other words, you do not understand what authority is. And he's going to change the focus now from the authority to the responsibility. He says, are you able, and now he's talking to the boys, to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? He's not talking about orange juice or grape juice or... He's not... The the cup represents His purpose. Remember in the garden when He's praying and He's facing the ultimate reality, the ultimate fulfillment of His purpose here, and the reality that begins to really come close to Him? And and have you ever ever had a a, a something you really don't want to do? Maybe it's surgery or maybe it's a test or maybe it's it's an academic test or maybe it's a a, a physical test. I know when I was going through the the, 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 the treachers, you can't put those two words together, John. The treatment for for the prostate cancer that I went through several years ago. There were some tests that they were going to run on me that weren't going to be too pleasant. You know, and when they were three weeks out, no sweat. One week out, hmm. The day before, suddenly my faith was not where it was two and three weeks ago because it's more immediate. And now Jesus is facing the immediacy of what He's got to go through. I can't begin to imagine that and neither can you. And he, he cries out in Matthew's account three times, Father, if it's possible, take this what? Cup from me. The cup refers to what he's supposed to hold and bear and carry. For his pur- it's his purpose. And he's saying to, this, to these two disciples, you don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? In other words, you want to share in the authority that I have? To do that, you've got to be willing to share in the responsibility that I'm about to take on. Are you? That I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized. What's that mean? Baptized means to be immersed in and saturated with, to be joined to. Are you about to be a partaker of what I'm about to go through? Are you about to do that? 
And so they said to him, Yeah, sure we are. They have no clue what they're saying. And that's where most of us are. We want authority. Or we don't like authority. And we don't understand that, that and this is what Jesus wants trying to get across to them. Don't you understand? It's not the authority. It's the calling, the responsibility. And that authority is only given to empower, enable you to carry out that responsibility. So don't look at the authority. Look at the responsibility that goes along with it. The responsibility which is the main focus. And they said, we're able. Look at verse 23. And he said to them, yes, you will indeed drink of my cup. Let's talk about what that cup is for a minute. Let's talk about what it is that Jesus, what his purpose was in coming here. Now, he did many wonderful things. He displayed the compassion of God. He came in part. He didn't, he's not, he didn't just come to take our sins. He came to reveal what God's like. This was God for the first time in the flesh walking among people he created. The last time God could walk among people and touch them was in the garden before the fall. And now God took on flesh and can walk along and look into their eyes, touch them, hear them, be moved with compassion in His heart towards them, and, and, and be so moved to deliver them from their bondages, their sickness, their disease, their oppressions. And this is what Jesus did so much of. And He came to reveal to us what the Father's like, to reveal the Father to us. Before that, they didn't refer to Him as Father. In fact, they didn't even pronounce His name. And Jesus is walking among them, calling Him Father. But His ultimate purpose was beyond that. His ultimate purpose was to take upon Himself the sin of the world. Your sin. My sin. Your rebellion. My rebellion. The rebellion of the world to take it upon... Listen, listen carefully. This is important. To take it upon Himself. And listen to this. Now that it's on Him, now to bear the full punishment and judgment for all that sin. To take it upon Himself innocent, never having committed sin, He willingly took our debt, our sin, upon Himself. That was the cup. He filled His life up, His pure, holy life up with the dregs of our life. With our pride, our sin, our anger, our jealousy, our envy, our lust. All of the arrogance we don't realize how arrogant we were and are still to some extent. Getting ready this morning, I'm looking at neighbors driving past people that are going to the store, going fishing, going about their daily lives. And, and it wasn't an anger towards them. It was a grieving for God's sake. These are beings God's created. Their life belongs to Him and they're going about their day to day as with every other day without the slightest thought of pausing and giving Him honor to the one who's given them life. Not just given them life, paid the price for their sin. That's arrogance. Of course, we do it every day. 
We worship things. Pastor Michael's doing a great series on worship. We worship things other than God all the time. I don't have an idol in my house. Oh, yeah? Come hear him again on Wednesday. You'll find out things you have, that worship, things we worship. And Jesus took all of that. He filled his clean cup up with our filth. And he bore all that filth on the cross. And on that cross, God poured out his anger and wrath and judgment for our sin on his pure son. He took what we owed and bore the penalty ourselves. And then he gave us. Let's go to let's go to let's go to Second Corinthians five twenty one. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I know it. Verse 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And then from verse 17 to verse 20, he basically says, Because of that, we're to, God's been at work to reconcile the world to himself through Christ. And we are now ambassadors. We are to share the word of reconciliation. And this is what that word of reconciliation is. He, for he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin. Well, he knew it because he lived among us. But by know, it means to know there means to have it as part of your life, to experience it in yourself. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin. God, at this moment, on that cross, God took our sin and transferred it to Jesus. And then God poured His anger, wrath, and judgment for everything you've ever done wrong. Wrong deeds, wrong motives, wrong thoughts. Poured His anger and final judgment out on that cross, on that sinless Son. And see, I was raised to think, well, He did it so that our sins would be paid for so we'd go to heaven. No. Just wait a minute. Don't pick up rocks yet. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus' goal on that cross was to take as an act of His will. It's very important. We're talking about what that cup was that they wanted to bear. Well, we can bear this cup. And Jesus said, you will eventually but you don't understand what you're asking now. We can do that. Like Peter says, I'll die for you until the circumstances change just slightly. On that cross, when all of our sin was collected in that cup of His life, God poured His anger and judgment and punishment out on that sinless Lamb so that now that the sin's paid for, he could legally take his righteousness, which he earned. Jesus is the only man that ever lived that perfectly kept the law. Under the law of God, there's two ways you could get to heaven. One is to be as holy as God is. And he gave the law to Israel to show them what that would require. But here's the problem. It's not so you could do a good job at it and hit it 50% of the time. You had to be perfect every moment 
of every day for your entire life. If you blinked for a moment, you were sinful. That's what His righteousness is like. That's what pure, how pure and holy He is. And He came to this earth, took on flesh by which He could be tempted the same way you and I were, and yet He had to resist that temptation. All of His life, He had to resist that temptation to sin. He had to resist. So he had to, he had to walk out the perfect obedience to that law 24 hours a day, 7 days a week for his entire life right up until the end. And he did it. So he earned his right standing before God by his own righteousness. And having earned it through 33 and a half years of perfection on that cross, having paid for your and my unrighteousness, He took the righteousness that He earned and gave it as a free gift to us who didn't earn any of it as a free gift. He gave us His righteousness that we might become the righteousness of God. Why would He do that? So that we could now come into the presence of a holy God as His sons and daughters because only holiness can come into the presence of a holy God and live. That was His purpose of bearing that cup so you and I could be sons and daughters of the living God and have bold and confident access Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore we can come boldly to a throne of grace. The therefore refers because we have a faithful high priest, Jesus, who was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. Therefore he can understand our weaknesses because he, he dealt with them, but he didn't sin. He overcame them. This was the cup he's talking about. It was the cup of somebody who's doing things right, taking upon themselves the sin and failure of others so that the others could be freed from the bondage of their guilt and to bear it themselves. Put that verse back up again. Um, I'm sorry, go back to, to, um, go back to Matthew 20. Verse 23. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized with. What's that mean? Because after he was raised from the dead, they took his place. And they bore for him now the marks of what it is to represent Christ in a fallen world. And each of them, except for John, ultimately was martyred. You and I are called to bear that same cup for one another. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. Now look what he goes on to say. Let me make sure, yeah. He says to them, look, you will indeed drink my cup. You don't know what you're talking about right now. See, I'm getting way ahead of myself. I'm getting months ahead of myself, but that's okay. I've showed you, and I'm going to continue to tell you, starting this fall, we're going to go on a journey together. This journey will change your life. 
We're going to do this together. God's already calling some. They're already hearing the voice. And I forgot what my point was. <laughs> I got so excited looking down the road. Oh, yes. He's called them. Yes, Lord. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Whoa. He's called them to go through something and they think they can do it. And if they had to do that now, we already know what they do because they run away. But when the time comes for them to have to do what God's called them to do, they're ready. Because they've walked with Him on that pathway from where He first called them to where it was time to do what He called them to do. All we've got to do is learn to follow Him. That's the journey. Learn to, sounds so simple, but we need to learn how to do it. So He says, You will indeed be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized. But look at this. So you're going to do, you're going to bear what I'm... But, look at this. To sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to give. This is the Son of God. And He's saying, It's not my authority. It didn't come from me. That's, oh, oh, oh. that's beyond the boundaries of my purpose. We're going to see that really clear next week. Because next week I'm going to walk you from, through the Bible, from Genesis through Revel, a Revelation. And I'm going to trace this principle through the whole Bible, not through every book. It won't be that long. <laughs> Look at this. He says, I know the limits of my authority because I know the limits of my responsibility. It's not mine to give. But it's for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, verse 24, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. I said this last week. This is astounding. I'm so blessed here because this is his staff. And they're vying for position. They're jealous and envious of each other. That This is the future of the church. When he leaves, this is it. And some others. And they're envious and they're jealous because they still don't understand this principle. They don't understand what authority is for its purpose. Verse 25. So Jesus decides this is a good teaching opportunity. So He called them to Himself and said, and this is we talked a little bit about this last time, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. In other words, in the world, those that are in authority exercise it by lording it, listen to this, over them. They, they, look, they exercise it over them. So if you're in position of authority in the world, you, you, you're, you're all concept of authority is, I'm given authority to boss people around. I may have good motives, I may have good attention, but the concept the world has authority is the right to boss people around. And every teenager says, they're not in here now, they're out there right now. <laughs> You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, that's the world, lord it over them. 
And those who, ha, those who are great in, in position and authority exercise authority over them. Verse 26. But it shall not be so among you. Stop there a second. He's saying, that's how the world operates. That's the world's idea of authority. But in the kingdom of God, it's not that way. And therefore, it shall not be so among you. So your squabbling and your fighting is because you do not understand what authority means in the kingdom of God. Here's what it means. Whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Next verse. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. All right. How do we carry that out? How do we do that today? In 2018, July... I better know the date. It's my anniversary. July 22nd, 2018. How do we do that today? Does that mean that we have to go to a cross like Jesus said? Well, in a sense we do. Because He said, take up Take up your blue seat and follow me. No. Pick up your Bible and your bumper stickers and your, and your, you know, your kitchen magnets and follow me. No. He says, take up your, your cross. I took up mine. You take up your cross and follow me. So the, in order to follow him, we've got to go where he went and do what he did. And we're going to talk about that That's going to be a whole program for next year. How do we apply that in our life? Well, I think one of the things I'm learning is, is and this is different thinking. And you know, you, if, you go, if you just simply go through the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, you'll learn a lot about this. Jesus says some difficult things in there that we want to water down. He says things like if somebody gets angry and slaps you on your right cheek or the other one around, I can't remember, give to him the other one. That's a hard one. If somebody asks you for your coat, give them two. What's that all about? Well, we'll talk about that down the road. But the one I want to talk about this morning that where we run into more than anything, because most likely you're not going to have somebody slap you in the face, although they may insult you. What do you do? What did Jesus do? To be great in the kingdom of God is to serve others. To be great in the kingdom of God is to bear the same cup He bore. And what cup did He bore? He bore my sin in His righteousness so that I could be of His righteousness and be free. Mm. One of the most common ways this comes up is somebody does something to hurt you, offend you, do something against you. What do we do with that? You know what Jesus said to do? He said to bless those. Bless them. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Think about that. To despitefully use you didn't mean they just accidentally offended you. They went out of their way and found out. They went online and figured out, how do I do... What's the best way I can get at them? 
So it's malicious. He says, pray for them. And it's not this, Lord, forgive that disreputable, horrible person. <laughs> no, it's literally pray God's blessing upon them. If we went on and read through Romans 13, he talks about, you know, about, about not judging one another, about blessing those that have harmed you. That's what Jesus did. Forgiveness is the greatest way you can bear this cup. Because when you forgive somebody that's done something against you, what you're literally doing is you're taking their sin upon you. Because what we want them to do, we want them to pay the price for their sin against us. Oh, this is good. I'm glad I came today. <laughs> what we want to do is we want to punish them somehow or see them punished so that they're paying the price for what they did wrong against us. And then we feel justified. We feel as if we've somehow been, 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 been made right by doing that. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus took our sins against the Father on Himself so that He could give us His freedom and His forgiveness. And when we forgive people that have hurt us, what you're literally doing is bearing the same cup He bore. You're taking their sin and saying, all right, I'm not going to get back at them. I'm not going to see this reprisal. I'm not going to see them punished for this. Instead, I'm going to carry around that hurt so that they can be free of it by forgiving them. And you can do that with family members that have already gone and died. But when you do that, when you take that upon yourself, two things happen. You set them free and you experience something you'll never experience without doing it. And that's the love of God in you. Because you've now stepped into His cup. And it will set you free. I was raised in a home where love was used not, not... My family was divided. My parents were divorced. But in a large part, I was raised in a home where love was used as a manipulative tool. And so I simply learned how to survive. But it made me hard on the inside. It made me hard and, 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 and just difficult to open up. And, and I always never trusted people who said they love me. What do you mean by that? What do you want? What, where are the strings that are attached? And, you know, it's a struggle with it. So a while ago, I just went to the Lord. I said, Lord, I need to learn what your love's like because I'm having trouble receiving it from you, let alone giving it to people. And the Lord, I was hoping He would just... I'd wake up one morning and this light would shine down into my, into my little den and, and, and this warmth would just flow through me and I would just... Ah. He didn't do it that way. Because the problem with those moments is they pass. No, he chose a much harder method. He began to put some people in my life that were difficult to love. None of you. It's a second service. No. No. People where I would feel 
entirely justified of being angry at. But I saw it as I went to the Lord with this situation. I saw saw the Lord teaching me this principle. No. You have an opportunity in this situation to take the hurt, the the energy, because sometimes it's just, it's taking my energy. I don't want to deal with it. And the Lord's saying then, but I don't want to deal with that either. It's to take it upon myself. When I do that, I step into His love. This is what 1 John's all about. It's if we want to know what His love is like, we need to give it away. We need to forgive. We need to, we need to love one another with the love. That's what He said, with the love I've loved you with. It wasn't warm feelings. He didn't always have warm feelings towards His disciples. He'd get frustrated at them sometimes. Oh, you of little faith, how long do I got to put up with you? I believe that's about how he probably said it. Frustrated with them. Their unbelief. He couldn't understand unbelief. And I found as I began to do this, slowly but surely, I began to have a knowledge of God on the inside of me I never knew before. One of the greatest challenges I ever have, and I can't get into it this morning, had nothing to do with any of you, but it was a situation where somebody did something very hurtful to me caused me a lot of pain for a long time, made my life very difficult. And God had to bring me to a place of literally bearing their sin and failure on myself so that they could be set free. But I tasted the love of God in me because I was walking in His love. See, when you begin to walk in His love for other people, His forgiveness, His grace to other people, you begin to taste what He's like in you. And you begin to get an appetite for that. And it becomes easier and easier because I realize I'm acting more and more like Him. I still slip and fail so many times, but I can see it. I can taste it. And so He said, you will indeed bear the cup that I'm about to bear. And then He answered with this. He said, the Son of Man, verse 28, did not come to be served, but to serve. It's not just serving by doing things for people. You can do things for people and be distant with them. You can do things for people and, and not... But it, God, God's calling us to get out of our comfort zones with each other, let alone the world. We can't sit next to each other in church, let alone the world, to get out of our comfort zone and be willing to make sacrifices for one another. but it's learning to bear the cup that He bore with one another. His authority, it was not His to give. He was teaching them that if you want to walk in the authority that I've given... Oh, let's close with this one. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. I hope they have it. All authority in heaven, in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now we'll go, we'll, next week we'll go into how we got it. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What he's doing here is he's taking the purpose that he was given from the Father 
And this is after he's been raised from the dead. He's about to be ascended. He's now delegating that purpose to his disciples. And to carry it out, he's now giving them the authority that he had. In, Matthew, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, he gives them his name several places. His name was given, his authority was given to the church not to just go get rid of your nasty relatives, but to carry out the purpose. To carry out the purpose. So when he, empower, when he gives them the purpose, he also gives them his authority to carry it out. Authority in the kingdom of God is never given without a purpose, and a purpose is never given by God without the authority. Now, as we come to the end of this, I want to take a few moments here. I want to have just some time to just be quiet for a minute or two. And I want you to think about several things. We're going to pray. I want you to be quiet and pray. And I want you to begin to think about how you can apply this in your life. Begin to identify, and you can write it down if you want. First of all, what authorities am I under in my life? It may be a boss at work. It may be, it may be a parent. What, what authorities has God put over me? That's the first question. And you don't have to answer these all right now. And the second question is, can I recognize the purpose for which that authority has been given? What authorities am I under? Lord, I just need to learn about authority. What authorities have you put in my life that I'm under? And what's their purpose in my life? And I know I'm going quickly with this, but you can do these at other times too. The third question is, what authority have I been given over others? What positions of authority have I been put in? Again, it may be at work, maybe in your family, maybe in a ministry here. What positions of authority have I been put in? And obviously the, last, the fourth question is, and what's the purpose for which I've been given that authority? What authorities am I under? What's the purpose for their authority? What authority have I been given over others? What purpose? For what purpose have I been given that authority? Let's pray. Father, as we proceed further into this understanding of authority, which is so vital for where we're going and the worship that we need to learn to, to walk in with you and the, the, the walk with you that you're calling us to. We're coming out of distorted and wrong views of authority in many cases. But we thank you that the teacher lives in us. And my prayer is that this week, as we go through our lives and interact with people that you put in our lives, that you would make us sensitive and aware to the places where we're under someone's authority and we would immediately begin to look for their purpose and even more importantly, recognize the places where you put us in authority over others. And very importantly, that we would, you would help us to recognize the purpose for which that authority is given. Father, we just trust in you to minister to us by your Spirit from the things that we've heard today.
Jesus' name, amen.